Welcome, listeners, to the 14th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me today are co-hosts and powerful wizards, Robin Svensson and Christopher Bigström. As always, the warmest of welcome to you, dear listeners. Hello, everybody. Hello. I hope you're doing well. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Tech app. In today's episode, we will see if Christopher has kept up his win streak in local paper legacy and introduce a new segment to our podcast, Brew with X, in which we will all brew around the same card. Today, uh, in this first time we have this segment, we will all look at the all-powerful hero from Ursa's Destiny, Academy Rector. Also, we shall convene the Basic Land Connoisseur panel once again to talk about the proper forest for Mono Green cloud post before we start though a short correction from last week's shout out to austria the back to magic event will take place in ansfelde near linz and nowhere else uh, again check the facebook event to stay up to date uh, and make sure to book your tickets in advance that always helps organizers of these events and with that let's get our podcast going robin please tell us about your paper week so I have been playing a little bit of paper this this week and I started with testing against Yorian Death and Taxes and I brought a, a gauntlet of decks over to Victor's place for a magical lunch. And I brought Shark Steel, Bant Midrange, Lance and Turbo Death and I left the Epic Storm and Goblins at home. And uh, after that I have been testing a little bit with Lance. And I fought against 8 Walla, Bug Control, and then 8 Walla again. And uh, when it comes to lands, I've been trying to make Ursa's Saga-focused list. And I sleeved up four uh, Sagas for, for this event. And uh, I actually won most of my games, but uh, I'm not really comfortable with the deck. It feels a little bit iffy. And uh, I've been following in the discussion on the Lance Discord and browsing deck lists that I have performed online. And uh, there's been some development going on with, with lands lately. And uh, after the spoiling of Versus Saga, of course, everyone was trying out Saga, obviously. And Jarvis Yu recorded a video where he took red-green uh, quad Saga land through a, a league. And he basically cut the Velikat explorations for Sagas. And then I think people realized that if you run Saga, you might want to run Elvish Reclaimer, as it has pretty much good synergies with Ursa Saga. And if you do that you might want to run Flagstones of Trocare package. And if you already do that you're into white so you might as well cut the Punishing Fires and start to play Prismatic Ending and Swords to Plowshares instead. And uh, in that shell uh, you might want to move some of the spheres from the sideboard to the main deck because you're basically playing very low-costed spells and doing uh, most of your interactions with your mana base. And then you're on some sort of aggro-prison plan. So that's where I have been going with this deck, but uh, after Wednesday's testing, I'm actually going back to more Valakut Explorations-oriented deck, because that's what's been going on in the background, so to say. Uh, where people have been going back to Valakut exploration and more using fewer sagas. And I guess the thing about uh, Ursa Saga is if you try to turbo it out, uh, you tie up your mana for the first turns of the game and then your land development is a little bit haltered. And those early turns are usually used to sort of 
either punishing fire and waste and port your opponent, or working towards getting an engine online and dropping lands towards the endgame field of the dead domination. So if Saga isn't your game plan, maybe it instead can be a robust late game card, uh, which is certainly strong when copied with the stage. So that is where I am recently with this deck, uh, going back to more Valakut's exploration, cutting down on Sagas. So Recently I'm running four Valakut Explorations, package of Punishing Fires, and only two Sagas with a minimal package of one Pithing Needle and one Expedition map. Yeah, I really I really like how uh, Lance has seen uh, this uh, metamorphosis since Modern Horizons. And uh, I've also seen, you know, some uh, deck list featuring Punishing Fire again, which was uh, like pretty much a dead card before Modern Horizons 2 because it had Exploration, Valakut Exploration, Loam and, you know, Field of the Dead and Dark Depths, you know, trying to do all of those things. And I'm really glad to see Punishing Fire in the meta again to, you know, shoot some uh, Ragavans, shoot some Yorian Death and Taxes creatures. And I really think it's uh, it's better now than I think it's been for a while uh, because the Merktide that you might not be able to kill, uh, you you can have the mazes for those. You can, you know, some some of these uh, blue-red Delver decks have started to go down on zero basics, you know, adding steam vents instead, which is... Yeah, yeah it's a... Uh, you need to have Ragavan Days on turn one, I guess. But it's it's really interesting. Uh, the mana bases are weaker to Wasteland than before, and the worst creatures to fight against might be quite weak against Punishing Fire. So I think it's cool. Yeah, and I, I like that Lance is sort of taking a more controly direction again. I felt that with, with the Ursa Saga emphasis, you just make dudes <laughs> and don't have so much agency over what the opponent is doing. So if you go back to a Wasteland Punishing Fire plan, you are more interactive. And I think Lance is better suited for that role. Yeah, because I think making the dudes early turns can be super great against an opponent that sort of has a slow start. Or if if the opponent um, has a build-up that will take a couple of turns, getting two constructs online, making them 4 force uh, or so, and just jamming in can be super powerful. But then again, that requires your opponent to have a slow start or mm. to not have reactions to your constructs that, as you said, Robin, uh, just essentially makes you tie up your mana more than just losing the land that you might lose from when your opponent sort of stops the Ursa uh, interaction going on. And I also think that, I mean, I never played lands, but I played a lot against lands um, with various decks, and I always find the deck uh, much more difficult to, to work against when it has a controlling plan. Because you have that sense of uh, total inevitability if it's a controlling plan. In the end, you're just going to get completely run over by zombies, for example. And there is really nothing you can do once a land deck has its lock, so to speak. I really enjoy, you know, when, when I play lands, I really enjoy going for a slower game. You know, I, I put a lot of emphasis on how good port is in that deck. And, uh, like... You might think that, you know, taking two mana off to tap a land, it it has a wide range of how strong that is, depending on the matchup and such. But what the land deck, it, it, it won't have, like, all favorable matchups. It's going to have some really skewed ones. But what the deck is really trying to do is 
landing an exploration or something like that and just making land drops until the opponent's mana, like what they are able to do with their mana, is so much less powerful than what's going on on your side with your ex like excess mana. Like if you have, if you're threatening combo, they can't do anything with their mana anyways, if they want to have a response for it. If they are a combo player, you know, like uh, you can make sure that they maybe can't write their flame or like do some really important stuff uh, with their mana when they have to. And those are the games that I really enjoy. And this really looks like it's going back towards that kind of playstyle a bit more you know with punishing fires you're pretty much saying i'm not in a hurry uh, you will have to kill me all right so christopher how was it did you have another week of success in your cardboard slinging uh yeah i guess i i mean uh, i did play a deck that i haven't played before and it was uh, yeah I played against Robin and he might have spoiled it since two of his three opponents was uh, eight walla <laughs> uh, but I I sleeved up eight walla and this is very far away from my playstyle although I do like you know threshold strategies and uh, uh, yeah that kind of jam I really enjoy that um, but this deck is quite different from what I used to sling. So it, I really felt un, unsure of my plays a lot of the time and also my keeps and, you know, should I have mulled this? Will the six get better? It was quite tricky, but I played a really stock list. Um, you know, the first time you play a deck, you might just want to take one of the decks that look the least complicated, perhaps, and just jam it. So I did just that. And it's four Rootwalla, oh, well, eight Walla, <laughs> four Basking Rootwalla, four Blazing Rootwalla, four Angie's Ravager, four Hollow One, four Vengevine, uh, four Putrid Imp, two Anger, two Ox of Agonas, four Burning Inquiry, four Looting, four, uh, two Gamble, four Lead, four Once Upon a Time, uh, two Mountain, two Badlands, two Taiga, eight Fetches. Um, so, yeah, the deck is really streamlined to just put a lot of creatures into the graveyard and then by proxy madnessing them to get to cast them in a in a different way to either trigger venge finds or just get cheap creatures into play the sideboard is uh, two ancient grudge which is was an all-star against uh, robin free uh, bone shards and this is a new card from modern horizons 2 so bone shards is a sorcery speed for one black and it has an additional cost when you cast it sacrifice a creature or discard a card and the discarding part goes really well into uh, what the deck is already trying to do but then it reads destroy target creature or planeswalker it's pretty straightforward sometimes you just need to remove some stuff two fair macabre free ley line of the void two firestorm firestorm is a really nice uh, instant speed spell that's it feels like it was kind of made for a deck like this. I think I bought mine when uh, I was going to play Dredge a bit, like Lead Dredge. And the card just dumps your hand. It's an instant for red that says, choose and discard X cards. Firestorm deals X damage to each of X target creatures and or players. So I played against an Etwala opponent as well. And uh, we both knew that the person who was going to draw Firestorm with the most cards in hand or the most 
action to put into play from it is going to win that game. And it's just so busted because no one wants to combo off. You know, just if you put six creatures into play, you know, two Vengevine, some Hollow Ones, two Wallace, the opponent can just Firestorm for four and kill all of your big creatures and get, you know, Andrew's Ravager, their own Vengevine and stuff into play. And it just feels terrible. Uh, but yeah, uh, so I played two Firestorm, one Flaring Pain, which is uh, one red for an instant that reads that damage can't be prevented, and then it has flashback. And finally, two Bowmat Courier. Uh, I put two Bowmat Couriers in instead of two Piffing Needle, mainly because I just, it felt too sweet. This is one of the cards that just screams madness for me. And I saw the, the list that I like ripped this down from had two Piffing Needle and it didn't spark joy. And I was like, man, I want to throw some lizards on the opponent. And this this Piffing Needle, I'd rather lose with a Bowmat Courier in my graveyard and win with a Piffing Needle on the battlefield. Uh, so I put some Bowmat Couriers in there. Really quick how the matches went, you know, 3-2 uh, in the mirror. <laughs> You know, to, I, I won uh, 2-0, but we extended it to a best of five because the games were really quick. They were like insanely quick. One of the games I got blown up by a firestorm because, you know, it's just a house. But then when it was, you know, down to the last game, uh, I managed to get there. Uh, Burning Inquiry is not super good in the matchup, but I boarded mine out and that was a mistake, I think. However, then I got... 2-1, yeah, 2-1 yeah, against Bug Zenith. I can't really remember this match super well, but I know that I lost game 2 after my opponent stabilizing with an Uro. And that's pretty much lights out if you're attacking with 1-1s that you can pump. It's just super rough. Uh, I think my opponent also had Scavenging Ooses in the deck, along with some other, you know, pretty good cards. But Uro is just lights out. Last match was uh, against Robin uh, on lands. And I got a really aggressive game one that got there. And game two was a lot slower. But I drew, I think I drew a lot of Angie's Ravagers. As well as finding both of my Ancient Grudges, thanks to that. Uh, which just does a lot in the matchup. Since, like he was talking about, he's leaning into Constructs a lot more. And if you find two out of two Ancient Grudges, and you're trying to attack with small creatures, that's a great avenue of getting there. So yeah, those were, those were my games. I'm just thinking the mirror, once you've had your sideboards uh, shuffled in, does the game become sort of this uh, two-person Mexican standoff where no one's like, draw, no, you draw, no, you draw. Because, uh, I mean, essentially, whoever dumps their hand on the board runs the risk of what you said before, just losing everything to a firestorm. Then again, the longer you wait, the higher the chance or risk that your opponent is drawing the one of their two copies of firestorm uh, how, how did that go about like it's it's really interesting because one of the cards that i thought was not gonna be super relevant in the mirror but then losing to it game free i boarded them in and it was leyline of the void because you know if you just both sit there and go draw a card go to discard and put a wall into play or if you just cast your wallace or try try to you know find an angle like because firestorm is an instant it's just you can't get the perfect anger ambush you know where you put anger in the graveyard as well as you know 24 power on the battlefield or something like that that's 
that's not going to do it because your opponent is still just going to firestorm your creatures and maybe kill you on the swing back. It's it's a really weird really weird matchup. And I think I think I over I I think you shouldn't overthink it. You're playing an aggro deck. Uh, I mean, I played two firestorms and I think my opponent played three. And it's a re like I said, it's a really good card in the matchup. But you are playing cards like uh, Ox of Agonas, you are playing Venshrines. If they can't kill you with the Firestorm that they have presented, it's a big chance that you'll just get your creatures into play again and maybe either end up in a stalemate where like there are no good good attacks or you actually have, like, like I said, those Venshrines and just strong creatures. So, Victor, we played a couple of matches. How was that? Yeah, I mean, you came over to my place for lunch and legacy in paper, and that's cute. First, as I said, I uh, took my Yorion Taxes, the tweaked stock list from last week, and I played your Lance and Bant decks. And I had the feeling that, I mean, sort of halfway through that session, you were like, you're not putting many either vials into play, are you? And I'm like, no, I am not putting really any other vials into play. And I hadn't. I sort of put my first other vial into play since I picked the deck up in, I think, the fourth or fifth game uh, of this session. And I'm counting last week as well. And that's to say that this, of course, uh, I mean, you play four copies of every card that you want to, but in an 80-card deck, you're a lot less likely to, to draw these key spells as you want to and there's of course this old saying that death and taxes is a tier one deck when you put planes otherwise into play turn one and when you don't it's a tier point you know, tier 2.5 deck or something i don't know how much that that is true but that's sort of an old way of looking at it and that's the play pattern that i have always been used to of course because i played this deck for so long it's always been 60 cards you always try to put uh, the wild on the play in the, into play as soon as you can and with an 80 card deck you can't expect that and that means that i have I have to relearn how to play this deck. And I think it became evident in our first match uh, when you played Lance because I lost so completely. I was, uh, you crushed me uh, with your Lance deck. And of course, the construct plan uh, could be a bit sensitive for Death and Taxes if I can't get quick creatures into play because your creatures are just going to be bigger and just sort of stomp over mine. But again, I've seen other people just in this last week playing leagues and playing uh, other tournaments and they beat lands handily 2-0 so i don't think the matchup is necessarily horrible i think it's just that i need to learn relearn how to play this deck in a lot of its matchups in the plural because when we played against bant uh, i think you won the first game pretty handily i won the second game pretty handily uh, and then we had a super interesting third game it went really long and that game i think really showed to me the potentials of this deck because I had sort of in one situation I had two other vials two Skyclave apparitions one flicker wisps and Yorion and Caracas so I had this whole sort of bouncing up and down flickering things exiling things left right and center I had that potentially going on but of course I was disrupted because you also have Caracas you have plows in the deck you have uh, other ways to to remove uh, my interaction and uh, since you had such a high density of those cards in your deck in the end you were able to take that game down but that sort of late game that i had it really showed to me okay this is what you can do with this deck wow this is amazing 
because previously I would be sort of when you start flickering in, or when you start violating in flicker wisps, uh, it's sort of a late game way to remove your opponent's threats to swing in for lethal. But in this game, this becomes sort of this Mangara of Corondor plan on steroids, which is, uh, of course, uh, super interesting and fun. And uh, I just think I basically need to get lots more reps in with this deck to see how it uh, functions. Uh, because again, I mean, this past weekend, uh, this deck again won a large online tournament. So I'm not thinking that the deck is necessarily bad. I just think that I actually need to learn to play it again. Then we had a couple of games uh, with Rector Fit to against your Rainbow Death deck, uh, and I lost those two uh, one. But it's also quite a tight tight games. I'm happy with where that Rector list is currently, but we'll get to that later. It was cool uh, to see the Yorion uh, coming into action there, and uh, gives the deck quite a lot of grind power in the late game. But that being said, I think in that game I had been on the my own Caracas and Uro plan and just playing it and bouncing it each turn to gain three life and draw an extra card and make an extra land drop so the other decks have also gained that sort of late game grinding ability and as you say the, the like uh, flicker threat to to move in for lethal is not really a thing against the control deck anymore since since so, there's so much life gain in in banned decks now but it was a really interesting matchups and uh, yeah I, I I look forward to playing it more I'm quite glad to hear you on being on the Yorian DNT because you know it's it's making waves uh, online. I see people tweeting about it a lot, and it does seem like in this meta it is a better choice than the 60 card deck. And I really I really enjoy seeing the kind of grinding power or like inevitability that it starts putting into play when you. When your recruiter gets the good silver bullet, uh, you just waste your opponent, tick your vial up, and then eventually, you know, just get Urion, and the opponent realizes that vial is on five or something like that, and it's just gonna do some really nasty stuff. Uh, I really think that the whole vial idea of, you know, it's it's uh, if you have turn one vial, you become an almost different deck, and I don't. I don't feel like this deck is that much built around uh, Vile due to all of the amount of copies of the different hate bears. And I think that since, you know, like uh, you have a less a less proportion of your deck uh, are Vile's now than usually, I think the building around that has mitigated how like the important it has to be to go turn one Vile. I, I can definitely see this deck doing a lot better without the turn one vial than the 60 card that's you know trying to be more efficient trying to bury the opponent or you know flick a wisp uh, <laughs> flick a wisp your ensnaring bridge to alpha strike or something like that no absolutely because this deck i felt wants to have vial turn six turn seven because you need it for the late game but having it early since again you've thinned out your, you you expanded your deck so much uh, with as you said so much uh, you diversified it so much as we discussed last week having a quick vial isn't really the game plan anymore uh, i think so yeah looking forward to try that out more
All right, it is time for our new segment, Brew with X, where we take a card and brew away with it. In this first attempt of this new segment, we will have three different takes on Academy Rector. Robin, would you like to go first? I would like that. Uh, so I bring to you Esper Omnirector. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> All right. so this is maybe not your average Academy Rector deck, and uh, it's not your average show and tell or omniscience deck either. It's a combination. So what this deck wants to do, uh, I can run down through the list first. So it's four Baleful Strix, four Academy Rectors, one Emrakul the Eon's Thorn, four Brainstorm, four Cabal Therapy, three Peak, four Ponder, four Show and Tell, four Force of Will, one Future Sight, four Omniscience, two Recruiter of the Guard, one Spellseeker, and then there's the land base, four flooded strand, three islands, one Phyrexian tower, one plains, four polluted delta, one swamp, one tundra, one underground sea, and four seagate restoration, seagate reborn. So this deck wants to sheet omniscience into play, you using the like usual avenue of show and tell, or with academy rector trigger. Since sacking the rector is necessary, we also play cab- cabal therapy. Uh, which is also sort of the the uh, protection package. And Cabal Therapy is backed by Peak and four Strixes that can hold the ground and then be sacked at card parity. And when looking to close the game after Omniscience is in play, uh, Future Sight provides an avenue to victory. And you can find it with your next Academy Rector that you draw into. And uh, Omniscience plus future sight means that you probably can draw your whole deck with so many cantrips and tutors and massive draw spells hidden in the in the mana base. So the flex slots basically is uh, the recruiters I would say and they are there of course to find the rector and if you already have your rector you can tutor up spellseeker uh, for cabal therapy to sack your rector. So I have not established a 15 card sideboard but I think you might want to slow down your game plan with sorts to plowshares or pushes and possibly board into uh, a mentor plan and uh, you could play a couple of silver bullet creatures if you want thanks to the recruiters and i have actually tested a similar deck as this a couple of years ago and uh, maybe it's not as competitive as, as sneak and show but it felt not too bad well my first my first thought is you know why would you play this deck uh, over sneak and show or like uh, Omnitel, and the the answer is so obvious. Do you like having fun? <laughs> like this, this looks like, uh, you know, I I don't bash on those kind of decks. Uh, I personally don't like playing them, but they are an important part of the meta game for sure. Uh, but this looks like a version of that style of deck that I would easily play. I mean, it's, of course, because it has Future Sight, which is a fantastic card. And just what you said, Christopher, fits really well into the OG Onslaught flavor text for Future Sight, which is, my past holds only pain and loss. I will conquer it <laughs> by creating the perfect future. Yeah. Ixidor, reality sculptor. And, I mean, with this in play and the missions, you really can't create a perfect future because you will certainly win that game. Yeah, it's easy to have a f- perfect future when you are omniscient and uh, just draw your entire deck <laughs> and end up with an Emrakul Day and Storm. 
No, I love this take. Uh, I never thought of, uh, having played Rectors quite a bit, I never thought of putting Future Sight uh, into the deck together with Omniscience. This is, uh, I love this. But yeah, I guess that's, uh, that's my turn then. So now I brewed a deck that I've played a bit in the past, actually. And uh, I used to have, you know, very small tournaments on my birthday uh, where I capped at eight people and people were encouraged to bring a brew because the person who brought the spiciest of the spice would get a, a small prize from me. I, I, I do also believe that, Robin, you did win the last one. Yeah, I can't remember the card I played. Uh, you played that in Blue Enchantment. Where you, where you play each other's deck, right? <laughs> yeah, and then you had zero win cons. Yeah, it was it was beautiful. So yeah, that w- that might have been around 2018. Like 2019, I know that I went to Bologna on my birthday, and then Corona happened. So it's um, yeah, it was it was three or four years ago that you played that deck, but it was super sweet. But the the one that I played, it's a deck that that have not aged well, and it was not good then so it's it's pretty much that milk that just already had expired or was you know super low fat and didn't taste good from the beginning like uh you know milk water and then it just sat there for four years uh, so i was like yeah let's brush it off and put some new cards in it so the deck that i brought is omnifit and it's not as streamlined omni as Robin's deck, which is probably actually quite playable. So this, I'll, I'll just run through the list and then we'll hear some verdicts. So it's one Dried Arbor, one Sylvan Safekeeper, four Veteran Explorer, four Quattel, one Acerarach the Arclitch, uh, one Eternal Witness, one Leovold, Emissary of Trest, one Academy Rector. So see, I cheated, only one. One Meren of Clan El Toth, one Titania, Four Brainstorm, four Cabal Therapy, one Crop Rotation, four Green Sun Zenith, two Assassin's Trophy, one Sylvan Library, three Eldritch Evolution. And here is the banger that I, d- I did play this uh, in my old deck. And what it does pretty much is that you, uh, for one and two green, uh, as an additional cost to Eldritch Evolution, sacrifice a creature. Search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost X or less, where X is 2 plus the sacrificed creature's converted mana cost. Put that into play, or like, yeah, put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library, exile Eldritch Evolution. There is a card called Neoform that was printed quite recently. The problem with that tutor is because it feels like it would be a really good choice. It's one cheaper. And uh, yeah, it, it it's the exact same style of card. It's a green and a blue for uh, a sorcery that reads as an additional cost, uh, you know, sacrifice a creature. Search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost uh, equal to one plus the sacrifice creature's converted mana cost. Put the card onto the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter and then shuffle your library. So why Eldritch Evolution is my pick, which like it's clunkier it's double green, you know, the X or less is super important, but also that X is X plus two. So how this plays in the deck, I'm gonna go come to really quickly. I'll just read through the last cards because it's only like two Grist, one Recurring Nightmare, one Jace the Mind Sculptor, one Omniscience, one Bayou Savannah Underground Sea Tropical, two Forest, 
two island, one plains, one swamp, all snow, one Phyrexian tower and one Caracas and eight fetches. The sideboard is uh, not really super tuned, but it's free endurance, two plague engineer, two carpet of flowers, two fatal push, two veil of summer, two pernicious deed, two mind break trap and one reclamation sage. So there, the, the card that this deck really banks on is Eldritch Evolution. It helps you from a quattle get straight to Rector. And I also think that, you know, if you have a card that might not be super good uh, in the like current position that you're in, if you have a eternal witness that's not really doing anything, it's already done what it's supposed to do, you can Eldritch Evolution it away to get Titania into play. It's a high opportunity cost. You're paying a creature and free mana with the hope of really getting to bank on that. This is a really cool deck for kitchen table magic. The Wincon used to be, you know, Grizzlebrand. Uh, I used to play a lot higher curve before. You know, sacrificing maybe rampaging bailoffs or something in those terms to get uh, Grizzlebrand into play. But, you know, now I'm just thinking about recurring nightmare and omniscience is gonna go infinite anyways you might as well just add a singleton Azerorak in the deck that has like the alluring feel to it just drains the opponent uh, or just find some other loop you know titania puts a maybe dried arbor into into play uh, you can sacrifice the dried arbor with a sylvan safekeeper create a five free and then swap places titania and dried arbor or something like that there are many many ways to just get infinite if you have omniscience uh, you know you can draw your deck with quattel recurring nightmare and any other creature so it's uh, it's just a really fun and sweet deck so what do you guys think no well, i mean game plan here is obvious like turn one cabal therapy turn two icefang quell turn three eldritch evolution for rector and you know there you go I also think another strong argument, of course, for Eldritch Evolution is that it has the artwork of a super crazy pig. Yeah, I mean, uh, we talked, we we were a bit bashful, you know, how how this set Eldritch Moon did was not so innistrady, and uh, like that artwork is like the amalgam of our aesthetic displacement, and sometimes you know, shoving it into the opponent's face can feel good. It's like playing really ugly basics, <laughs> which I'm a big fan of. I, I was actually brewing also on, on, on a similar list before I changed my mind and went for the, for the Omni Rector. Uh, but I was, I was looking at Neoform instead, and I completely agree with you that, uh, that Neoform is much more restrictive. And even though it's one mana less, uh, I feel that Eldritch Evolution, just it just does the thing that two new forms do in one card so it's a two for one there <laughs> i i think that when you play this style of deck you have to have the mantra that you are the haymaker deck and uh, if they counter your eldritch uh, evolution i mean that sucks but it's gonna pretty much suck anyways if they do that to your uh, neoform this card doesn't get red elemental blasted uh, which is, you know, really corner case scenario because would you bring that in against uh, Bagnik Fick with without forces? I don't know. I probably wouldn't. 
I would just like, yeah, let him have it. Yeah, because that, that's the thing. That's the, the audacity of this of this interaction. Like, turn one cabal therapy, turn two ice fang quell, turn three eldritch evolution without force of will backup. Yeah. I but, love that. But here's the beauty. <laughs> that's fucking Yeah, like, cool. here's the beauty. Um, Marin is such a nasty card in this style of deck. And I also think that the whole Titania, Sylvan Safekeeper, Machine Gun is more like, I don't know, like a, 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 a Gatling gun with rocket launcher attached to it. It's just, it kills the opponent instantaneously. If you haven't played against it before, it feels quite weird if you are on the opposing side of the table. Your opponent has just, you know, maybe Eldritch Evolutioned a Titania into play. And suddenly the safekeeper is very live. They are, they are presenting like 30 powers of tokens end of turn or something like that. It's, it's very nice. And so I, I really, if you want to play some really spicy kitchen table, this is a really good pick. I think like uh, Robin's deck might be stronger power level wise. And I definitely think what Victor is going to show us because he's been playing some rector recently that might be more in line if you want to win games but if you want to tell stories this is the deck for you i mean i have lost to titania uh, combined with the sylvan safekeeper so many times and when you're playing on when you're playing like a, a tier one or tier two really efficient deck it feels so bad to lose to titania and sylvan safekeeper but i mean you're gonna do it because the the interaction is so strong and I think uh, Titania is much more a real card than people actually give it credit for. Also, now that the Titania comes with all the border, there is no excuse for anyone not to explore that avenue. <laughs> so yeah, Victor, this has been a rector part of the podcast, and you have been quite the rector since episode one. Tell us, where are you at, bro? Currently, uh, I am running a double rector list, so it has three academy rectors and three arena rectors. So this is both enchantments and planeswalkers searching. Uh, the rest of the deck list is four veteran explorers, two opposition agents, which have been all-stars against basically any deck I play with Robin. <laughs> uh, two grists, one Carnegrate creator, one Vraska Golgari queen, uh, one Ugin, the Spirit Dragon, and one Ugin, the Ineffable. Three Swords of Plushers, three Assassin's Trophy, two Vanishing Verse, four Cabal Therapy, three Living Wish, and we'll get to the sideboard. One Curse of Death's Hold, one Curse of Misfortunes, one Overwhelming Splendor, a bunch of lands, including a couple of Cavern of Souls, uh, importantly. And then the sideboard has two Copies of Endurance, another Opposition Agent, two Plague Engineers, two of the Rectors, one another Grist, another Karn, and then a Karn package, basically. And this deck, uh, w- where I arrived at, uh, a couple of... Um, I mean, I did play an 80-card Yorian version of this deck, which I didn't think was super good, but it introduced me to the concept of using Living Wish to have a uh, creature wish board, which gives you more Rector draws, essentially, because instead of having eight Rectors in the deck, I now have nine, essentially. But I can also put other creatures in the in the sideboard. Specifically, Grist has been great here, because Grist is just the truth and this this list has i think i'm arriving at sort of as as much as you can tune a nickfit deck currently uh, i think i'm pretty close to it knowing of course that a nickfit deck is never going to be tier one i mean this is not a deck that you probably want to take to 
Austrian Legacy Masters if you want to spike the tournament. But if you take it to Austrian Legacy Masters, you're going to have a lot of fun. And you, you're, some of your opponents are going to be, wow, that's great. And others are going to feel just as Robin said before, like I'm losing to Titania. It's going to be like, I'm losing to this Nick Fit uh, brew, the subpar deck, oh, what the fuck. Uh, and I'm going to enjoy uh, both of those matches as well as losing to, you know, just stock tier one steam engines i guess i want to sort of stay a little bit on um, the only enchantments i play in this deck now are the three curses one of them being a curse that finds the other two curses and this is really a hat tip to how excellent overwhelming splendor has been for me in this deck virtually any game plan against almost any opponent i find myself just wanting to cast overwhelming splendor first Unless I can get really good value uh, from uh, resolving or putting against uh, putting an Ugin the Spirit Dragon into play, because of course Ugin can basically win matches on its own if if the board state is correct. But overwhelming splendor is very hard for a lot of opponents to fight through. So uh, this deck is pretty much all in on that. I used to play Omniscience and uh, Emrakul's in the sideboard because I only play Living Wish, but it's sort of a second rate win con. Also, as I said, I'm down to just one Carnegrain Creator instead of I played three or four because I need to fit other cards in and it's sort of that's the better second game plan so to speak because you can always it, it can win games on its own but since this is not a all-in Karn deck uh, I think playing one Karn instead of three or four is actually better because I find them with directors anyway if that's where the game is at. Yeah that sounds really sweet. What What is your feel on Cruel Reality? The seven mana aura curse. Uh, it's five and BB. Uh, enchant player uh, at the beginning of each player's upkeep. Uh, oh, at the beginning of enchanted player's upkeep. It would be really bad if it was symmetrical. That player sacrifice a creature or a planeswalker. If that player can't, he or she loses five life. Is that uh, like worth a spot in this style of deck? Because seven mana, I, I've seen you gotten to that quite fast too. I think it's it's it has a lovely art, of course. Um, this it's card. terrible. It's so brutal. Like it's super <laughs> lovely. Brutal, like uh, as Gideon watched the initiate murder his uh, cropmate, his admiration of the city of Nak Tamun gave way to horror. No, I think this card is just basically it doesn't really do anything that other parts of the deck aren't already doing, uh, and I think it's uh, rather too slow. Yeah, it does. It does kill the opponent. From like, if you have a curse of misfortunes, uh, the first two curses like locks up the game pretty much, and it feels like this kills the opponent, uh, which is uh, like because the other two curses are gonna make sure that they don't have a creature in place. So it kind of becomes like what is that enchantment dragon form? Yeah, on the other hand, this also feels like a card. Uh, I, I want to sort of minimize the number of cards that I have in my hand that are basically unplayable from yeah, the hand. Sense. Because, I mean, of course, uh, there are quite a few games where I, in theory, could hardcast this card. But the investment of hardcasting a 7-mana enchantment that doesn't win you the game outright doesn't really feel uh, what the deck wants to. I mean, I'm sitting sometimes with the Ugin in hand, or sometimes with the Overwhelming Splendor in hand, and that feels bad enough. Uh, and those are and those are cards that would, you know, in most situations, really swing the game, or probably even win the game on the spot if I get to resolve them. And this card won't do that. I feel. 
I was thinking like it doesn't have uh, like the majority of times I feel that this is gonna come in from your misfortunes. This is just like the inevitability closer. It minimizes the chance that your opponent can find an out, find a way to kill you, remove your things because this the splendor it makes sure that the triggers don't happen. They they're just like small small creatures with no text. The uh, death soul just kills everything. So the opponent is going to have zero cards, like zero creatures on the battlefield. And then this just form of the dragons five to you every turn. No, that, that's true. That's true. But the thing is that I find in the current meta, and this is, I guess, sort of a hat tip to, to how legacy functions currently. There are a lot of times where I feel I don't have time to let the academy rector first find the curse of misfortunes to then start tutoring for the other ones. I have to basically put overwhelming splendor into play immediately uh, because this deck is uh, often a bit behind <laughs> anyway because it's uh, usually subpar in power level to the decks that I'm facing. So that's probably also a reason why I think it might not fit because of course if you have the misfortunes in play and you just want to sort of slowly and the game, I see where you're going. But I think um, since Curse of Misfortunes is like the second best way of getting Splendor, and it's a, it's a card that, I, that has a, a mana value of five, so I can pretty easily cast it if it's in my hand. I I think I agree with, uh, with uh, Victor here that uh, I, I guess Curse of Misfortunes in against more aggressive decks is usually too slow and and then you just just have to jam the splendor and splendor does a pretty good job of ending the game by itself but it's really cool to see how you have been trimming and uh, rearranging in this list i guess the most uh, thing that raises an eyebrow is the one of karn <laughs> with a with a little package to it exactly the the, the karn the extra karn in the sideboard is uh, is sort of an actual sideboard card <laughs> It's the collector roof on drugs. It's like the buff collector roof. It looks really cool, this deck. I'm looking forward to facing it more. for us to convene the basic land connoisseur panel to talk about mono green cloud post and we're talking about this deck because i am currently building this deck and i've sat for so many hours browsing through different lands that i wanted different forests this deck will play six forests and of course i want to play alpha or beta christopher rush forests but i don't have uh, as many of these and was thinking, instead of chasing down another two or three mint condition copies, I wanted to see if I can find something else. And I did. So I'm actually going to start this week. Because I had, up until recently, not any idea that Bob fucking Ross made a bunch of secret lair basics last year in 2020. But he did. The actual Bob Ross. I thought it was a joke first. Like some other artist named Bob Ross made basic lands. But nope. The one that only Bob Ross painted a bunch of basic lands for a secret lair. And there is a forest, uh, number 109, which is just fantastic. It's a beautiful dark forest in, in the image. There's a centerpiece waterfall that creates this perfect mist at the bottom of the fall. 
It's coniferous trees, which of course I like because I live in a coniferous area uh, of the world. And I can just really see the primeval titan lurking in this forest further down. Uh, because it has in, in the horizon, this forest has uh, a mountain and hills, which are also covered in coniferous trees. So you get a sense of this super big, deep forest in which prime time rumbles around. So I have ordered a bunch of copies for this one, and you guys are going to see it soon on a battlefield near you. What do you think? I think it's uh, very beautiful and I really agree with the prime time connection. <laughs> it, it it really fits with the primeval titan. And uh, I I I think it was uh, you uh, Christopher that said that it has a, a a little bit of life from the Lomi look. So I I could also imagine playing this in lands actually. Yeah, this like uh, when Victor said, "Hey, look, Babras, basic." And then he sent this picture on our Discord. I was like, I haven't seen this, and this is absolutely mental. This this art is such a masterpiece. I really I really like it. You know, like how how did this happen? How did we mess up? But then I remember what the great Bob Ross used to say: We don't make mistakes, just happy accidents. Um. So yeah, I really I really enjoy this one. You know, it's in the forest. It has a lot of trees in it. It really looks gorgeous. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a tree as a friend. Also, Bob Ross quote. I just pulled up a lot of Bob Ross quotes. This is not by... I do not know them by heart. I just... (laughs) It needed to get Rossi in here. But yeah, it's beautiful. Would be cool if that was your new thing to just quote Bob Ross all the time. (laughs) So, Robin, I think you have gone for an absolute classic for this week. Tell us. Yeah, I mean, uh, after looking at your (laughs) your forest, I'm a little bit displeased with my own. But I have this mantra when it comes to to the basic land uh, connoisseur panel that if you play fetches, you should play uh, like an ordinary looking land to fit with your duels. But if you don't play fetches, you can play the full art lands. So I picked the Unhinged Forest by John Avon. It's number 140. And it's this... uh, very green looking background with uh, very high trees in the foreground and this sort of magical mist going on on the ground and uh, I, I think this this is a very magical forest that looks uh, like it is about to produce an Emrakul or an Kosilek something like that uh, down the line yeah I really I really like the mist part that you talked about and uh, you know John Avon is uh, a very loved uh, magic lands artist some people really think that uh, he's the best and what I really enjoy about this uh, forest in the deck that you picked is the the mist actually um, you don't see more than 10 meters ahead of you and uh, you you have no idea what's coming so you kind of like have to pace yourself and walk slowly because you have no idea what you're running into so i really i, I really like it which is the opposite is, uh, on how you are supposed to approach this deck when you see that they are on a cloud post you need to finish the game very quickly so christopher where are you at this week i'm not super opinionated on uh, mono green uh, post i like the deck and it does a lot of cool things. I think it's a very simple and elegant deck. It ramps mana, it puts 
big things into play. And one of the artists that I enjoy the most um, when it comes to magic is Rebecca Guay. So I picked uh, Guay Forest from the standard showdown, but I think it was in a commander set also. Uh, these are, you know, like uh, sim simple trees. It's a very simple, minimalistic piece of art. It's like no complications. I'm gonna ramp, I'm gonna put some things into play. You do have some time to kill me, but then it's over. And this, this is just like no fuss. Uh, there's no, you know, like tricky things going on in the background. It's very straightforward. So I, I, I like it. It really feels like she has not made an effort to hide that she has made a work of art. I mean, some artists will go for extraordinary realism, but there is, even though, as you said, Christopher, this is a pretty open piece of work, it, it is what it shows, but at the same time, I think she doesn't shy away from showing us that this is an, a work of art. This is something that she has created, and I like how that really comes out from this art. And there's kind of like a semi-full circle uh, to wrap to wrap it up. Um, when I played against the green post deck for the first time, it played moments piece uh, in the deck to just buy extra turns uh, because you were trying to kill them. No, 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 no. None of that is going to happen. And that art is also by Rebecca Guay. And it kind of looks like it's the same part of the land, only in a different angle. Uh, kind of. I really, I really think it fits together. Thank you. And that is all we have for this week of Stockholm Legacy Report. We really hope that you have enjoyed listening and thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Uh, if you want to support this podcast, the best way is to recommend it to a friend who also plays Legacy. That way we get the word out. And if someone wants to reach out to us, where can we be found, Robin? You can find me on Facebook. That's where I use do my most of my magic interactions. And you can find me on MonolithMTG at Twitter. I'm also on Twitter under Disco Drogo. And that is the end of the 14th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robinson C. and Christopher Wikström. Our amazing music is written by Frönes. You should check them out on Spotify. Until next time, consider the statement of exiling oneself for the sake of academic freedom. That is something indeed. <laughs>